You are listening to the Lit and Lucid Podcast, brought to you by Yoohoo Brand. Here's your host, Lucy and Jared. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here Skype recording with our friend Katie Stem. She is the CEO of Peak Extracts. What's up, Katie? Hey there, how's it going? Doing good. Glad to have you join us today, Katie, and taking the time to uh, talk about Peak Extracts in your background. Should be exciting. Yeah, for sure. So for everybody who doesn't know, Peak Extracts was created in 2014 under Oregon's medical program, offering customers consistent, custom-made, custom-tailored experiences based on uncompromised quality and integrity. Uh, This idea started um, when Katie herself, uh, she's a medical marijuana patient for the last 10 years. She's been suffering from Crohn's disease, so she was looking for a solution to kind of aid herself um, in, you know, the issues that she was having, and she started in infusing some chocolates. Fast forward to now, she has Peak Extracts. Um, They are the number two cannabis uh, chocolate manufacturer in Oregon right now, so that's a pretty awesome goal for her. Um, And what she's also used is she's utilized her lab science background, Chinese medicine degree. She's naturally certified as a herbalist to kind of R&D formulas for Peak Extracts. So I'm interested to learn more about your background and kind of your medical background to see how it's evolved into Peak Extracts. Yeah, um, I started out doing lab research um, when I was a teenager. I worked in an anatomy lab for a while, and then when I was in college, I did summers and um, some TA shifts doing laboratory science, and then I did a few years after graduation. My main emphasis was on physiology, pharmacology, and neurology. My most recent lab position was at Oregon Health and Sciences University, and we were looking at novel approaches to autoimmune diseases using natural products and also pharmaceutical products. And so I did a lot of formulation there, and so that gave me some background in terms of dosing and extraction and um, making different products to, um, to give to animals or humans. Yeah, and I think that lends a lot to, uh, to where you guys have ended up now. And, you know, you can really see it when you look at all your different products. They're very thoughtful. There's been a lot of thought putting in, put into it. Uh, they seem to be manufactured in the right way with the right intentions. And so I think you could directly see a lot of that background that you've already had transferred over to Peak Extracts with the products you produce and, and really the ingenuity that goes into it. So, um, you know, I think that's a much needed thing. So I'm, I'm glad you joined us in this industry. And, you know, I can't wait to see, uh, you know, where it goes from here and learn more about learn more about what you're doing with it now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, my, my Chinese herbal medicine background helps a lot, too. That I went to school starting in 2007, and I graduated in 2010, and I've had a practice here in Portland since then, which I still maintain a couple days a week, and um, that that taught me a lot about the herbal side of it, which, you know, of course, there's the pharmacy side of it, pharmacology side of it, and then there's also this this herbal medicine, which it's been really fun to look at cannabis from a Chinese herbal perspective, because it was named in the Shen Nang Ben Saojing, which is a thousands-year-old medical text. Um, and it's been used for treating pain um, for thousands of years. It's really only recently that it stopped being used in China because of the the, um, the revolution there, the cultural revolution, um, because of Mao. And so there's a lot of interesting and fun texts that describe cannabis that are thousands of years old um, that have been interesting to look at. Yeah, that's so cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, I mean, how did that change your perspective on it? I mean... 
when you started reading that, you know, what did you feel about the stigmas and stuff that were attached to cannabis? And, you know, how did, how did I guess, how did you carry yourself going forward knowing that, hey, these things have been used for thousands of years? You know, why are we having to fight so hard to get them used now? <laughs> yes, exactly that. Um, although it, it's interesting, the, the original texts do talk about cannabis in high doses causing insanity. Um, one of the translations says that cannabis um, can make someone take off all of their clothes and run mad on the beach, which I thought was pretty hilarious and amazing. And um, it, it wasn't clear, you know, that they used to formulate herbs in a variety of ways, and it's likely that they were doing an alcohol tincture or perhaps a water decoction. Certainly the alcohol tincture would make more sense mm -hmm. um, in terms of causing that kind of insanity type response. Mm -hmm. And of course, we don't know what kind of hemp. They were probably using Indian hemp, which is, was the more psychoactive that they talk about in those ancient texts, which would probably be something like a, a Hindu Kush type of idea. So it would be a very narcotic feeling. And in a high dose, you know, everyone's probably seen someone get a little bit wiggy on too much right. edible. Right. Absolutely. Especially yeah, combined with sure. alcohol. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's interesting. They point that out. And, um, you know, you really need that I guess that synergy between both sides of the, you know, at the same time, I hope that everybody remains conscious that cannabis isn't the end all be all. And there is some symptoms to it that can be unpleasant if you take too much. But at the same point, I'm glad that they did recognize the medical benefit of it and, and really kind of lend light to that and not just focus on, I guess, the negative aspect of it, that it can drive you mad. You know, there obviously was some, some benefits to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chinese medicine is entirely based on Taoism, which is a balance between yin and yang and, dark and light and too much and not enough. And so um, they talk about cannabis as being really good for pain. In fact, the, the word um, cannabis ma is, means numb. Um, and so it was probably mostly used topically um, for pain and, you know, orally for pain too. But it was one of those drugs that they, or herbs, I should say, that, that was used with caution because it was such a powerful substance. Which, you know, I think, I think that's a, it's a good way to look at it. I think that we can't really have it both ways in this industry. It is a really powerful medicinal substance, and therefore we need to respect it. Mm -hmm. And we need to respect the dosage, too. Um, you know, I don't think that something can be so powerful and also completely benign. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'd be ignorant to not recognize that, like you said. And at the same time, you know, I, we want 100% do need to respect the past, you know, and everything that we've been through with prohibition and understand that, like you said, the... The plant's a powerful plant, and uh, if you Absolutely. respect it and use it the right way, then that's where you're going to see benefit out of it. Totally. Well, I think it's interesting that the Chinese text also brought up cannabis. Um, I'm a yogi, and my yoga training, it's Atma Yoga, so it's like sun and moon, so it's balance as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the ancient Veda text also mentioned cannabis. So it's interesting that all of these texts, you know, brought up cannabis as a healer, and then somewhere down the line, we kind of got blurred, and it turned into like the prohibition stage, and now it looks like we're finally starting to turn back around. So that, that's good news for sure. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, that's one of my favorite parts about being involved in this industry is that we've had 80 years where this substance has been prohibited and it was extremely useful up until 80 years ago and it was used for so many different ailments and it was a part of everyone's medicine cabinet and it's fantastic to be part of like introducing it to all of these people and having all these minds blown. My favorite is the the older people that haven't had any exposure whatsoever and are just starting to use it for their arthritis or insomnia and 
the way that they come at me and talk about their experiences with cannabis is just it's fabulous and very entertaining sometimes. <laughs> that's great. So then that's good. So uh, the elderly communities in Oregon are also starting to open up to it as well then. Absolutely. I would say that one of our main demographics is is the over 65 set, which is, oh, wow. is fascinating. Yeah. And there's a lot of novice users and they'll, they'll write in and they'll tell me that, you know, they, they expected it to be like alcohol and because that's their only frame of reference in terms of an intoxicant. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, but I can't, I, no matter how much I eat, I don't ever feel drunk. And then <laughs> I have to explain to them, it's like, you, you won't ever feel drunk. <laughs> right. That's not how this, this drug works. Um, and, and they're just having to have that, that, that paradigm shift for themselves, that something can be medically useful and also enjoyable and euphoric. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of a trip. That's so good. Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad that's happening. So let's maybe backtrack a little bit. How did you originally start Peak Extracts? What was your inspiration? Well, I started using medical cannabis in 2005. Um, I moved to Oregon. I was living in Minnesota for six years. And I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 21, but I'd been sick since I was about 16. Um, And I moved here in 2005, and my gastroenterologist suggested that I try cannabis Um, And at that point in time, there was only one physician in Oregon that was able to prescribe it. Um, And he put his license on the line doing so. There there weren't that many patients. I think there were maybe 1,000 or 2,000 at the time. And so, of course, I asked my gastroenterologist to write me a prescription. And he said, oh, no, no, I can't do that. And so I had to go to this back alley medical clinic (laughs) where the one guy would write me a prescription and, and it was, it was an intense experience. Everyone there was extremely ill. Most of the people there were terminally ill. And I got my prescription and I started growing and I got connected into the community here, which was a very cool experience. A lot of really caring people and generous people. And so I started growing and I discovered fairly quickly that certain strains would really help my symptoms and other strains wouldn't or would cause adverse reactions like panic or anxiety. And so I started drifting towards the strains that I liked. And the ones that I really found helpful were the the blueberry, the DJ Schwartz blueberry derived strains. <clears throat> and um, so I began growing those almost exclusively. And then I started making edibles out of them. And so my first chocolate that I made that was strain specific was Blue Magoo. And that one's still one of my favorites. It's a fantastic strain. And so that was in about 2006. And I was doing a direct infusion. So I would take plant material and I would put it into coconut oil. And then I would make a really strong extraction into coconut oil. And then I would put that into chocolate, melt it in, Uh and then make little chocolates. And um, I would share those around with my fellow patients and that's how it got started. Um, I did discover fairly quickly that they weren't very shelf stable because the coconut oil. And so I started refining that process of, you know, putting it into different substrates besides coconut oil and then working on the tempering process. Cause chocolate, as you may know, is kind of a finicky substance. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it took me years to get better at that so that it was a shelf stable and, you know, attractive product. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not like a, I don't know what they call them, chocolate tears or what are they called, whatever. 
Yeah, the female, as, as I learned, the female version of a chocolatier is chocolatier. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you weren't just one of those. <laughs> yes, I was not at the beginning, but at this point, I would say that I am. Yes. Cool. Yeah, through yeah. learned experience. Yeah. No, I've worked with a couple, uh, a couple companies here in Colorado that have uh, produced chocolates, and a couple. One of them was really extremely successful, and another one who had a really hard time of adapting to. You know, infusing cannabis and chocolate together and making it work well, and just like you said, making it like a commercially viable product where it's not melting in, in shelves or melting in transportation or melting in storage, and um, so it can totally feel your pain just from you know feeling feeling their pain, but also at the same time, it's such a triumph to be like doing this stuff and doing it right. And um, you know, I really I really want to kind of backtrack. We were talking about this a little bit before the show started, and. And really kind of getting into how you found that chocolate was really good for, for you, I guess, in, in Crohn's disease. And I thought that was a really cool part, too, to, to really see this evolution of, like, you found a product, you know, you found, I guess, I could say a strain, the blueberry shorts, that worked well for you. And then you went a step further of finding an actual, like, dosing product, such as chocolate, that actually worked even better for you. And I think that's cool how it's all came together now to be, like, a very much a commercial thing with peak extracts. <clears throat> yeah, so I'll, I'll go back and talk about why chocolate was so important. I mean, first of all, I love chocolate, and I've I've done some really elaborate elimination diets to try to figure out if there's anything that can ameliorate my Crohn's symptoms, and chocolate was the thing that I had the hardest time giving up. Um, you know, I gave up sugar, I gave yeah. up meat, I gave up, I, gave, I gave, gave up everything, alcohol, caffeine, and chocolate was the thing that was really the hardest, so I learned that about myself, but beyond that... Um, when I'm having a really bad Crohn's flare, um, anything that I eat can cause my guts to start churning and being really crampy and painful um, because, you know, the, the gut tube is one long peristaltic organ and so it's made out of smooth muscle and so adjacent tissue will cause spasms nearby. And so when I eat or drink something, I often have to do it when I'm really sick very slowly or, you know, just eat pureed foods or liquids and chocolate I can just melt in my mouth and it doesn't actually require any mechanical digestion it's primarily chemical digestion <clears throat> and so that's how that started is that I wanted something that I could just melt in my mouth and not have to chew or digest um and so chocolate was that yeah. um hmm. and I guess that answers that question absolutely yeah and, and we talked about how you know about the the onset that you didn't want like the onset immediately and you wanted something that's a little bit longer lasting and I could totally attest to that as far as you know I've, I used to take edibles or still occasionally do when I need to sleep and that's how it was too that you know I didn't want to pass out immediately so to speak but I still wanted something that's gonna you know ease me into sleep and then at the same time last throughout the night and chocolates definitely were like my go-to as far as that as well kind of like you yeah, I love chocolates but they worked really well as far as like controlling your dose I could totally control Oh, I mean, I had it down with like 45 minutes. These chocolates I had were going to like kick in. And so, you know, 8.30, 8.45 or so, I'm like, okay, take my chocolate. And then I knew I'm ready for bed or in bed or around the bed by like 9.30 because I'm crashing. Um, so oh, that's, that's a totally good point. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the dosing curve is really slow with chocolate or with any edible really where, you know, you it'll kick in in a couple hours or an hour and then last four to six hours where it's smoking. It could be 30 seconds to seven minutes and then wear off in two. And so... I do remember I was waking up a couple hours after smoking or vaporizing and being in pain, and then I would have to start the whole thing over again. Mm -hmm. And so edibles are a really good way to manage pain over the long term. 
um, and also prevent that spike, that really intense spike of the onset and then the, the quick drop too. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that can be, especially if you're trying to manage pain, it puts you on this roller coaster. That's really uncomfortable. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so let's touch on some of the other products you guys have at peak. Um, we have here your, your rescue rub and also you guys have other extracts as well. Yeah, we, we started, so we started with the chocolate and then I had developed a, um, it's a topical salve that I used in clinic. Um, that's a combination of 12 different Chinese herbs. It's in a coconut and shea base. And the herbal formula is based on an ancient formula for blunt force trauma. Hmm. I found it in a book and it just based on the, the herbs in it, it looked the most useful for modern arthritis, um, which was basically what I was looking for at the time. Um, and it, it corresponded with this, this, I thought it was kind of entertaining. It, it was specifically blunt force trauma from a long wooden stick. Um, and life, so I'm imagining AKA that... life. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Everyday life. <laughs> exactly. But I'm imagining it was like training or maybe a, a medieval battlefield where they used basically long bats. Um, and so I... I made the, the formula in my clinic and I started using it for massage and for post acupuncture treatment of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, and then one of my, my colleagues that I went to school with came and visited me in Portland and she, she looked at my salve and she was like, Oh, this is great. Why don't you have cannabis in it? And I felt really stupid. I was like, Oh, that would be a really good idea. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I should have done that. <laughs> really should have done that. Because at that point, I'd been making chocolate for several years. And so I did, I started doing a direct infusion into the salve, which I called Burnside, Burnside Balm because that was named after the, um, the street where my practice is located. It's oh, a central cool. street in Portland. Nice. And so then I named it Rescue Rub when we added cannabis to it. And so when we started Peak in 2014, that was also part of our, of our um, offerings. Cool. And now we do CO2 oil into it. Um, we retain the terpenes, which I think are really important for the rub. Um, and same is true of the chocolate. Um, and then we also do cartridges, which we released in 2018. I, I was really finicky about that process. I wanted to make sure that we were retaining as many terpenes as we could. Um, I, I'm a little bit of a purist in terms of the way that oil is extracted. I wanted to avoid pulling terpenes and then reintroducing them later mm -hmm. because of a variety of reasons. I just didn't like the result um, when that was done. And so it took me a long time to hone that into a place where I was satisfied with the outcome. So we've been selling those for about a year and um, our focus there is on CBD varieties. Because I felt like there was a real vacuum in the market here in Oregon yeah. for high CBD, high terpene cartridges. Yeah, there's not very many in Colorado either. Um, they're all, you know, high THC, and there's really not that many CBD cartridges out there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much true here. And I mean, selfishly, I guess like that that's where I kind of come back to is that a lot of these products that we've created are things that I want to use. Yeah. And, yeah. I find that I have more motivation to work hard and do well when it's something that I can either test on myself or that I appreciate myself. And so 
the, the CBD aspect to our business has really grown in the last couple of years because it's such a meaningful addition to my own personal well-being. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. what I really liked with your yourself is that you were using that in your own practice before that for various ailments, and then you just happened to infuse it with cannabis, and now you're selling it. So that's that's amazing. Yeah, and then if you, I mean, just on like the entrepreneurial aspect on its own, I'm sure you can attest that the day in day out grind of an entrepreneur, like you better hope you're doing something you're passionate about, else it's not going to last long, and then your customers are going to feel it on the back end. So it's like, I mean, we could go to your stuff and. It's very clear that there's passion there. I mean, we've seen it through the chocolates. We just talked about it with the muscle rub. And even as far as, you know, I was reading through your CO2 stuff, and I love that the fact that you're like, we retain terpenes, and you take that extra time to make sure that they pair well, and nothing's getting cut out and trying to get reintroduced because it kind of kills the aspect of like a full spectrum. And all these things are extremely thoughtful things that are very important to a growing industry, especially with so much misinformation out there. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, what you're doing is a good a good service to the industry because there is people out there that that are like you and that don't want like a high THC and aren't going to find anything really in a high THC product. They're looking for, you know, comfort or relief, not necessarily just to get high, I guess. So uh, what you're doing, there's very much a need for that in the market as well. Like, so there's a vacuum for it and somebody has to fill it. So yeah, I think that the analogy that I've heard and I totally agree with is when, when alcohol was prohibited, most of what people were consuming was really high in alcohol. Um, you know, it was bathtub gin and wood alcohol. And, yeah. and so this poverty of the substance creates this desire for something ultra potent. But as people get used to having it around, they want more nuance and more quality. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true of alcohol now. Craft beer is huge and mm-hmm. craft spirits are also huge. No mm-hmm. one goes for the Everclear anymore. And right. moonshine's such a niche. And, and so I think the, the longer people have to experiment with what they like in cannabis, I think it's, it's going to just get more and more specialized. And I hope that as people realize that unlike alcohol, there are just myriad ways to experience cannabis and benefits that you can get from it, that they'll get more and more picky as I have. Um, there are so many strains that I won't even touch because I know that I won't enjoy the experience. And I don't think most novice user- users have any idea that that's even available to them. Right. Not at all, no. And especially um, with a lot of the new users or folks that are listening that aren't in a legal state yet or in a state with recreational medical usage where you don't have that access to all these different product types. I mean you may just end up with whatever, you know, your dealer, your best friend has at the time, which who knows how that's even going to interact with your body. So as things to progress, you're totally right. These different products are going to come online. These different experiences that people crave are going to come online. And hopefully as this all begins to unfold, people can pinpoint exactly what they want and get what they want out of it, I guess. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. This idea of having a customizable experience is such a new one. And I think there's just limitless possibilities there. Yeah. And we've, we've, in the past on the podcast, we've talked to other companies who are also taking steps to like kind of track that and encourage consumers to like you were doing, like, you know, a strain specifically works well for you versus another one doesn't work very well. And like Jared was saying, if you're coming into a newly legalized state, you would probably not have any idea, you know, golden goat versus OG Kush, right? You have no idea. So it's good that, you know, we're starting to educating people and they're starting to understand that, you know, these different strains have different, you know, profiles and they are going to react to your specific body differently. And it's important to continue to, you know, asking what's in my weed and like understanding, you know, what each strain is doing for you specifically. So that's awesome. 
And then I also saw that you guys um, work with Yerba Buena, and mm-hmm. that's really exciting as well. Um, we know they're out of Oregon too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. They yeah, are. they're a fantastic company. Um, their their quality is just – I haven't seen anything like it. It's just lovely. Um, it's very potent, and that's, that's the best indoor I've ever seen in my life. That's awesome, yeah. You know they're very uh, they're a very sustainable company too, and I think what they do for the industry as a whole is is like kudos to them. It's amazing, mm-hmm. and I wish we had I wish we had cultivators like Yerba Buena here in Colorado because they care so much about their flower and very passionate about doing it the right way uh, that it shows through for sure. Absolutely. And I love hearing the backstory of folks like yourself who get to take their flower and infuse mm-hmm. that goodness into your product and add some little love at your stop, and that's pretty neat. Well, and I like that you guys put that on your packaging. That's where your flower comes from. Yeah, True, we yeah. we try to. I think every every package now has the farm logo on it. Um, I I just feel like there's so much effort that goes into growing the cannabis here in Oregon, and people care so much that it would be a shame not to honor that. Yeah, and absolutely. and we take so much care in preserving what they do that it it does feel like a really fun collaboration, and the way we curate strains. Um, we have a color coding system so that people don't necessarily have to know anything about the, the variety, mm-hmm. which also comes in handy if there's variations in phenotype. For instance, we do a blue dream chocolate, which is, as you probably know, it's a, it's a hybrid um, and it's supposedly half indica, half sativa. But uh, the phenotype that we've been working with is, a, is the blueberry dominant. And so we put it in the, the bright indica category, which means that it has that pain relief and relaxation of the indica, but it also has the lucidity that you would expect from a sort of a sativa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we use the colors to guide people into the experience that they're looking for. I like that too. I love that name. Because so, I've always looked for a way to describe indicas that are like not your typical indica. Because there's totally indicas out there that are like, this isn't an indica, but I'm not, you know. My, my mind's not spinning like I'm smoking a sativa, so bright indica is probably like the best word ever to describe that. Nicely, That's awesome that you feel done. that way. Yeah, we, we, we spent a lot of time, we were like, what what makes the most sense? Because it's lucid, right? I mean, my, yeah. my basic metric is, can I do math? Can, <laughs> I, can I have a conversation with someone, but does it still manage my pain level? And that, that was my original, was the, the blue magoo, and that's exactly what I mean with that one, where... You know, you could still function, you could still do some work, you can still talk to your parents, mm-hmm. you can still add a couple of figures together, but your pain is managed. Whereas the, the purple, the heavy indica, you know, you're you're on the couch giggling like a schoolgirl. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's funny. No, that's a great color coding system. Yeah. But yeah, going back to the farms, I love that because, I mean, you guys wouldn't be where you were at without the farm and the product itself. And like, that's what we're missing here in Colorado. Like there's gummies and everything and nobody even knows where they came from or what it's out of. And like Jared and I will pull up because he's been in the industry. You can pull up the barcodes and like go to this weird database online and like figure it out, like who actually grew it. But if you didn't know how to do that, there would have been no way you would have got to that information. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oregon is so transparent. Um, and people are kind of obsessed with this whole idea of, you know, seed to bar or however you want to describe Mm -hmm. it with cannabis where, you know, who grew it, where, what do they do? Yeah. 
That's why I love learning about other states because to be totally frank, I mean, there's a little bit of that in Colorado, but not nearly what you see over on the West Coast to where they're obsessed with, like you said, about, you know, knowing where their stuff came from all the way to the end. And that's honestly what we're trying to push in Colorado a little bit more of like understanding, like know your grower, know where this came from. And it's like you go buy a bottle of wine. I mean, the first thing they advertise all over the bottle of wine is like where this was grown or where the grapes were grown, where it was produced at. I think cannabis is very much the same thing as far as, you know, understanding who actually grew the product, you know, who put the passion into that and, uh, you know, where did it all start at, I guess. It's very important stuff. Yeah, I, I remember being at a, a meeting several years ago. It was the very beginning of the cannabis industry, which, I mean, it feels like an eternity. It was probably two years ago. And um, Kate Brown, our, our beloved governor, was in the room and someone asked her whether she was envisioning um, or she was planning for cannabis to be something that Oregon could claim much like Bordeaux claims wines. And she just said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're like, okay, so this is something that, that, you know, the, the Oregon government is thinking of in terms of the long term of this whole idea of like terroir and, you know, our, our dedication to craft products in general and the fact that geographically we're really well suited to grow cannabis. Mm -hmm. And right now the bottom has fallen out of the market and there's an absolute oversaturation. But if when um, interstate commerce becomes a thing, I think Oregon is going to be the, you know, we have Pinot Noir and I think we're going to have some really amazing cannabis exports as well. Absolutely. You know, and I was totally rooting for Oregon when I seen, you know, two or three weeks ago they came out and it might have been a representative there that said, hey, we're going to try to push this through and open up interstate commerce now. And I was like, dang, you know, that's a ballsy move. But either way, I do like that somebody's pushing that conversation because that's totally going to be a thing that happens now that states like Oregon are coming online that there's definitely going to be more cannabis that's produced that can be consumed in that one state alone. Mm. It's just a given. Yeah. And two, you know... It, how are you going to produce cannabis? You know, and I don't want to knock on Minnesota, but how are you going to produce a good quality product in Minnesota that's affordable and, and done the right way, I guess? You know, you, I wouldn't think you probably couldn't because if you'd be grown indoors and the cost of that would probably be too high. Whereas in Oregon, the climates and everything are already set up to where you know, it lends well to growing cannabis. So I would think that there would definitely be specialized regions in the U.S. that would you know, totally export to other areas that are not so feasible for growing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're completely right. And I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for the culture that's, you know, what, maybe 40 years deep in California and, and Oregon for mm -hmm. growing cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a lot of knowledge that the, the elders here have right. growing cannabis mm -hmm. and like DJ Short, you know, old grower here and, um, and countless others and you know northern california as well obviously like this is where a lot of the gen genetic diversity of the cannabis plant has has happened right oh 100 yeah no that's exciting yeah and i mean that's a whole other conversation too like the elephant in the room of the black market that's been thriving for who knows how long i mean if they really want to convert and do it the right way you're gonna to have to convert that whole black market that's still thriving and shipping all their products to the east coast so Right. Lawmakers at some point are going to have to realize what's going on and say, okay, we're going to have to open up the door to exporting because this stuff's being exported whether we like it or not. So if we're going to do it the legal way, it needs to be legally exportable. So the conversation is there to be had. Well, yeah, and they're going to want to wet their beaks on that, as they should. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're missing out on the tax revenue, and so I think <laughs> it's in everyone's best interest for it to be 
totally legalized, but of Absolutely. course I'm extraordinarily biased. <laughs> Likewise, same here. <laughs> well, let's um, switch gears a little bit and maybe talk about some like trials and tri- triumphs that you've had as an entrepreneur in this industry. Wow, yeah. Um, I mean, I think being a female has been tough. Um, it's also really fun. Um, I think, as far as I know, we're the only female-run extraction company. Um, I know of a couple of other female-owned cannabis companies that are colleagues of ours, but I don't know of anyone who's doing the sciencey, thumpy equipment extraction like we are, mm-hmm. um, which can be intimidating and fun. I, I remember when we purchased our machine in 2014, when we first started doing carbon dioxide extraction, the people who sold us the machine, um, they, they were just slack jawed and they said, you know, we've never sold a machine to girls before. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and there were a couple of moments with, with that. I mean, they, these, these guys, these men are, are lovely people, but sometimes they, they would just refer to us always as girls. And we had a moment, the three of us, the three of us owners, where we were like, so we have so many degrees between us. One of us is an attorney. I have a medical degree. We're, you know, all over 30, but they just cannot stop calling us girls no matter what. And that attitude plays out in a lot of different ways in this industry and in life in general, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, but that, that's been an, an interesting set of barriers. Um, and regulatory stuff in Oregon has been really tough. Um, and I think that, that that has taught me a lot about tenacity and not getting intimidated and not necessarily accepting no for an answer, especially when it's not the correct answer you know there i know that there's a way forward and we're not breaking any rules and we're just trying to do it the right way and so we just have to keep our horns down and keep pressing and i i've learned some very special lessons around that in particular um interesting yeah well that's what you got to do too i mean i see it and you know i totally root for women every day and women-owned cannabis companies because that's what has to happen at the end of the day and i think as the cannabis industry is in its infancy still um, no matter where you're at, I think it's like now is the time to have that conversation and start raising up these women who are doing it and be that industry that, that sparks the change, not only with the cultural and stigma change, but also the higher level conversations that we need to be having. And so, you know, I really hope that anybody, anybody's listening really gets behind these women-owned companies, these women organizations that are pushing these movements because it's extremely important. Like Kate pointed out, there's a lot of barriers that are there that, that are just there because, you know, well, it's a female or it's a girl, and there's no need for that because I guarantee you, Katie will probably kick your ass any day with an extraction machine, and they're not going to say that. So. Well, I was just thinking about do you know Grow Sisters? The Grow no, Sisters? No, I don't. You don't? Yeah, we'll they're in Oregon. We'll have to connect yeah, you guys. They're, they're amazing group. growers up there. Two girls. I think they're in Oregon. We'll have to look them up. We'll look them up, yeah. But yeah, oh, I'd love it. Yeah. That totally just reminded Sorry if me we're of wrong, them. But we, we, Accept well, our shout-out either way. <laughs> it's totally a hilarious irony, right? Because this is this is a virgin female plant. It's a female plant. It's so funny. I've always thought about that, too. It's a female plant. <laughs> the guys yeah. want to run it. That's why. <laughs> well, yeah, right. I, I, the other funny story that I have about the extraction machine, so our second extraction machine, our first one we named Joan because she was sturdy and she kind of <laughs> reminded me of like a, a gym teacher. You know, she was 
like wearing a red plaid shirt and very yeah. handy. She was Joan. She was a handsome woman. That's awesome. But our our next machine was much larger, and we we brought it into our facility, and we were like, all right, so we're gonna name it a guy's name, and and the guy who installed it for us came in and he was like, so what's this guy, what, what's your, what's her name? And we were like, well, actually we're going to name him a guy's name. And he's like, whoa, I, I don't, I don't know that the fabricators are going to be comfortable with that. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think she came with a name because every, every machine that we make in Ohio is it comes with a, a female's name, and he, and he like looked through his phone, and he found that her name was like Bertha or something. And I was like, "No, it's a he," and we're gonna name it a boy's name. And he was like, "Well, I, this is the first one that's ever been named a boy's name, and I don't know about this." And we're like, "Okay, well, it's true. It's gonna happen. We've got so a boy funny. machine." <laughs> that's well, let's hope it can keep up. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. I love it. All right, Katie. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and more about Peak Extracts. Um, for our listeners who are in Oregon, how can they find your products? Well, we're in about 140 different dispensaries. Um, you can go on our website, peakextracts.com, and we have a, a map there that you can scoot around and find local places. You can also just contact us via our website and tell us where you are and we'll tell you where the, the local places are. Sometimes things are not stocked entirely. And so if you're looking for a very particular product, our account manager will get back to you and let you know where you can find it. Cool. Um, and I think just one other real quick plug, are they vegan? I think I saw that. Absolutely. Yes. Everything that we make is vegan and we have a gluten-free facility. Awesome. People That's like huge. that. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to know. Well, good. All right, Katie. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're excited to learn. I'm so glad we learned so much more about peak extracts and your background um, and extracting as a woman-owned facility in Oregon. We love it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. And we will uh, we'll definitely touch base here soon and, and see what all has changed and how much you guys are growing in the next couple months or so. Great. Have a wonderful day. Cool. Thanks. All right. And with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of Lit and Lucid Podcast is produced in partnership with YooHoo Creative and Design. YooHoo Creative specializes in marketing, social media management, content creation, and other creative needs. YooHoo, helping your company become who you need to be. If you're interested in learning more, hit us up at yoohoocreative at gmail.com.